Welcome back to episode three of Conflict in Bob's Burgers. This week we are going to be talking about power in conflict. Now, Carmen, this is one of those topics that a lot of people think they already just kind of know about because anybody who's been in conflict understands that there's usually power dynamics. I'm I'm interested, like, you as my resident layperson, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about power in conflict? Like, when you hear power dynamic, what, what are some of the thoughts that you have on that? The first thought I have is um, maybe a boss and an employee, like an employee wanting to, or a boss wanting something from their employee. Maybe the employee thinks they're already doing enough, but really can't quite say no. So not like a really violent or angry conflict, but a conflict like, I mean, that I experienced today where I was like, how do I tell my boss no? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I also think of my own mom. Like when I was a child, sure. um, we had a ton of conflict and it was always probably just a little like, ske not skewed, but the power dynamic was definitely um, a huge factor in um, who quote-unquote one out in the end you know yeah and honestly like power in conflict is really intuitive as far as studying it goes it's really just making sure that we are clearly defining what some of these boundaries are so you actually listed two different kinds of power dynamics that are very distinct from each other so the first one that you listed like between a boss and a employee um, is a power dynamic where the boss has designated power. Um, and this is something that comes from my textbook, Inter Interpersonal Conflict by William Wilmot. And designated power is anybody who is in a position that just comes with power because of the position they're in. So employee and employer, but also um, like a police officer has designated power. A lot of politicians have designated power. Um, like teacher and student, that's a, a designated power role. The power dynamic between a parent and a child is not quite so much designated power, but there is definitely a power currency there. Usually the parent has more power because of their life experience or because of the fact that they control resources. This kind of leads into one of the things that we need to talk about when we talk about power dynamic is what are the power currencies that we're talking about? Usually conflict comes about because there is some sort of resource at stake. Now, these resources do not always have to be tangible. Sometimes they are. Sometimes it is something like money. Other times it is things like freedom. You know, parents can give their kids a lot of freedom. Um, or privacy is another one that is really common. So there's kind of a lot going on there when we talk about power. Um, before we get into the episode that we're going to talk about, um, I do also want to talk about something that is related to power. Um, it's not in the chapter that talks about power in my textbook, but it is still really important. And that is the idea of 
coalitions. Usually when there is a power imbalance, even if it's perceived, one person will try to form a coalition with a third person against the, the original person that they're in conflict with. For example, maybe you are in conflict with your boss at work and you know that you don't have as much power as your boss does, but if you can talk to one of your other um, coworkers, then you can like consolidate power that way. And, you know, you have that support system there to kind of motivate you to maybe take a look at the power that you do have or see if maybe you have more power, if you can combine resources that way. And that's actually how a lot of conflict, especially long-term conflict, kind of plays out to balance out those power dynamics. Okay. So... Something that I wanted to bring up, because we do kind of see this at the end of the episode that we're going to talk about. So, yes, would you mind telling us about the episode and yes. give us a little summary? Um, this is a hilarious episode. It begins with, I, I believe, I didn't rewatch this one today, so hear me out. But it opens with Bob conversing with his fellow business owners slash renters. Um, talking about a plan to approach their landlord, um, Mr. Fishoder, um, about him raising the rent. And he says, if we all stick together and tell him we're not going to pay, then he'll have to listen to us. Well, that's good. He involves the children, too. He brings the children because he's like, he, he totally <laughs> misunderstands who Fishoder is and thinks that the kids will make a difference. Um, and so they approach Mr. Fishoder. He sees them coming from afar. <laughs> And mentions that um, he's going to put on a little game, um, a water balloon game. And that the winner, does the winner get free rent or something? Their their rent does not go up. So Everybody else's will yeah. go up. Yeah, everybody watch. else's will go up. It, it's, it's a very famous thought experiment, the prisoner experiment. Like, oh, do I sell out my fellow criminal um because i assume he'll do the same in reality if everyone did stick together then you know it would work but if one person decides not to do it and decides to take fish odor's bribe or you know his offering then the whole thing goes up in flames anyway um surprise surprise <laughs> everyone plays the game um and it's this all-out war hiding in trees you know, hiding in tree houses and all sorts of stuff to try to be the last man standing in this water balloon game. Um, and I've got to be honest, I I can't remember how it ends specifically, but I'm pretty sure Bob, I'm pretty sure Bob approaches, I think he wins. And then he approaches Fish Odor and says, please don't, you know, <laughs> please just hear us out. Yeah, you're right. Bob approaches Mr. Fish Odor, and even though he is the winner, he takes Mr. Fish Odor aside, and they have this heart-to-heart, -heart where Mr. Fish Odor talks about how he doesn't really feel like he has any friends. And he doesn't say it in as many words. He would never. He is a very... No, he would never. He is... A, an arrogant rich guy and he just checks all of the boxes for like that stereotype yeah but it, it's a surprisingly honest moment where mr fishoder is unsure of what his relationship is with his tenants and <laughs> bob just kind of talks him down and says you know 
we all want to succeed. And if you raise the rent, it's going to be really hard for everybody to succeed, including you. Because he'll lose tenants. Yeah, he'll lose tenants. Mr. Fischotter kind of comes around and sees the light and decides to not raise the rent, at least for the next year. During the episode, we do see interesting power dynamics play out because one of the biggest rivalries of the entire series does have sort of a face-to-face, and that is between Bob and Jimmy Pesto. Mm. Jimmy Pesto is a neighboring restaurant. He runs an Italian restaurant, and his restaurant is much more successful than Bob's, just by every metric that we can see. It is much more successful. (laughs) But he still bullies Bob all the time. Like, he doesn't have to. He's more successful. He has more monetary power than Bob does. Yeah. And yet he still acts like Bob has something up on him. It's because he does. Which <laughs> he does. And this is a really interesting thing that is also talked about in the textbook, which is anybody in conflict most of the time feels like the other person has more power. Mm. Now, this is in reference to most interpersonal conflict between peers. This isn't talking about conflict between somebody who has very little power versus somebody who has like high designated power Mm -hmm. but more like what we see with bob and jimmy pesto and what bob has is a really good support system he genuinely likes his family and he has friends that really like him jimmy does not like his kids he has no no friends that he treats (laughs) He has Trevor, yeah. which is a weird dynamic. It is. Trevor's I, just, a, he's more like a lackey to a bully, not a friend. He is. Yeah. So we see that there is still an interesting power dynamic there. Bob might not have monetary power, but he does have interpersonal power. We see these two fight on this battleground, this water balloon battleground, and It's really interesting to see the way that these two use their resources. Jimmy, who does not like his family, literally uses two of his kids as human shields (laughs) so that they get hit with water balloons (laughs) instead of him. He can he can last a little bit longer if he can use his uh, his kids to take the fall, Mm -hmm. whereas Bob uses his kids to basically start like sniping people and they are all for it. They're like. Yes, I love this. They're kids. They want to play with water balloons, but they really like this idea of going all out. And actually, especially Louise, just really likes the idea of taking people out with water balloons. In the end, Bob does rally everybody again. And he does create a coalition. He kind of talks to everybody and he's like, come on, you guys. This is ridiculous. We just need to stick together. I said this at the beginning. I'm going to say it again now. We need to stick together. And if we actually work together and consolidate our power, our own power together is more than fish odors designated power. Everybody's still a little eh because Bob is not 
universally beloved in the neighborhood. Right. <laughs> but when Fish Odor sees that he is successful in at least getting some people to agree with him, that's when Fish Odor turns around and he's like, oh, there's that power that I had slipping away from me. <laughs> and so the resolution comes about by acknowledging who has power and who is using it and abusing it. Okay, so that is going to be it for this episode, talking about power. I do have to backtrack a little bit, though, Carmen, and mm-hmm. tell you something. All right. We we actually played a game based off of the prisoner experience in my class. Oh, really? I'm Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. <laughs> and I bet, I bet um, someone sold out, right? I have a confession. It was you! <laughs> oh my gosh, Audrey, I can't judge you. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> we were in teams, yeah. okay? Yeah. And I forgot all about the prisoner experience in the moment. I just saw the game and I was like, oh, game theory. If I sell everybody out every time, I am more likely to get more points oh than everybody goodness. else. <laughs> so... <laughs> But then, so at the end, he did. The, your your professor did reveal like this was this is what we were trying to do. You know, I didn't even think about the fact that it was based off of the prisoner experience. Yeah, it wasn't until I told my husband about it later that night. Yeah, that he was like, "Oh yeah, the prisoner experience," and I was like, "Oh yeah, yes, <laughs> that's that's right." Well, so that's pretty funny. Now I know how you would. Uh, now I know what you would do if we were both caught. Now I know that I I I'm alone in this. I mean, hopefully we don't get caught because we do have each other's backs. Oh yeah, we to do. Ensure that we don't get caught. So um, they'll never catch us. Nope, you know, they'll never catch us. Never be an issue. Things. Yeah, all <laughs> what two minor not even felony things that we've done. <laughs> I don't think we want to talk about it. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, preview next episode. For the next episode, we are going to be talking about conflict styles. And we are going to be talking about the episode Fight at the Not Okay Chore Owl. It's a, another punny episode like episode title yes but it's one that i actually really like a lot when it comes to analyzing conflict so i'm really excited to talk about it so thanks for joining in on this episode and we will see you on the next one goodbye bye